All right. Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, please. Ephesians 2.10, the message is entitled, The Works of God in Salvation. The epistle to the Ephesians, as you know, falls into three divisions. You have the wealth of the believer by the love of God, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Then you have the walk of the believer in the love of God, chapter 4, 5, 6 to verse 9. Then you have the warfare of the believer through the love of God, chapter 6, verse 10 to 24. So, by the love of God, in the love of God, and through the love of God. Uh, the key theme is love. It's possible. It's mentioned over 20 times in these three divisions. Now, Paul is still dealing then here in our text, 2.10, with the wealth of the believer of chapter 2 here, from the first three chapters. And he has declared the possession of the believer, focusing on the transaction of redemption in chapter 1. He now declares the position of the believer, focusing on the transition of salvation. Chapter 2. His old life, verse 1 and 3. Dead and trapped in sin. His, uh, his old life. His new life, 4 through 10. In Christ. His old citizenship, 11 through 18. His new citizenship, 19 through 22. And he contrasts them both. The transition. Chapter 2 gives to us a beautiful picture of man's reconciliation to God as well as man, as we'll see. Paul has given the reason why God will display his church in the ages to come. Because salvation is the gift of God. He alone saves sinners. He makes this very clear in chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. We're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. The manner is by grace. The means is through faith. And the memo is that any and all works are excluded prior to being saved in order to merit salvation, lest any person should boast as if they had earned it in one way or another. At this point, Paul focuses now on the word works to deal with the works that are visible and tangible as evidence of a person being saved. Paul desires here in verse 10 for both Jew and Gentile to know the gift of salvation in the mere, um, in its, the mere beginning as God saves us of the work of God in salvation that continues throughout life and not an end in itself. And it's characterized by three things. Let me read verse 10 for us. Chapter 2, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the three things that is characterized by is the following. First, you have the product of salvation. The first portion of 10, the product. Secondly, you have the purpose of salvation in the middle. And then you have the process of salvation, the rest of it. Let's begin here with the product of salvation. Listen to the words. For we are his workmanship. The Apostle Paul confirms salvation to be a total work of God here. The word for 
introduces the reason or explanation for salvation being all of God. Just like the word for in verse 8 introduces the reason God will display the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in the future age to come. God is the initiator when we are dead in trespasses and sins of chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. God is always the initiator. We are the responders. Often you hear people say, well, I've been looking for God all my life. Liar. Nobody's looking for God. God is always the initiator. And we respond. God is the transactor, making us alive together with Christ, sitting us in the heavenly places, as he said in chapter 1 and also here in verse 5 in chapter 2. God is the displayer in the age to come in verse 7. He's going to display. You know, when, when I do weddings, everybody has their eyes on the bride, even the groom, especially the groom. They don't have their eyes on the baboon. It's on the bride. Jesus Christ is going to display his bride. Salvation is a gift of God by grace through faith. He alone can boast. Not any man, as verse 8 and 9 said. Now the Greek grammar also verifies salvation to be all of God. The Greek grammar makes the word his emphatic. Literally, we are uh, his are we workmanship. Literally, the plural we refers to Jew and Gentile. Now you understand the difficulty that was in those days. You know, today we understand, you know, there's always been the whole thing of being prejudiced and the difficulty between races, this and that in America. But never has it been at a height that it is even today. Because our nation has been fractured the last eight to ten years. By allowing even Christians to divide themselves among color and race and all that. Listen to me, Jew and Gentile, there was a hatred the Jew believed the Gentile were created just to kindle the fires of hell. When a Jew went up north to Galilee, he went either by the King's Highway over Jordan and then crossed over or the, or, or the Via Maris. And when he crossed back over, he would shake, the dust, shake his clothes to take the Gentile dust off him lest he contaminate. All right? Paul here is saying Jew and Gentile one in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing thing. He's broken down the middle wall partition. There was a, a hatred of each other. Jew and Gentile one. In fact, the word workmanship means that which has been made. The only other time the word appears is for the creation that God made in Romans 1.20. The context of our text is a new creation of the sinner in salvation. Regardless of our nationality, our background, our color, whatever it is, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, one in Christ Jesus. If you as a Christian <clears throat> allow a pastor, allow a person, or even a president to divide you over your race, your color, then you're not a Christian. Because the first and foremost union that you have with Christ is the new creation in Christ Jesus. You got saved the same way everybody did, by grace through faith. And we don't let anybody divide Christians. Our allegiance is to heaven and to the word of God. Very, very important. Now, 
Psalm 103, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, Yahweh, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Notice the Apostle Paul affirms that we belong to God. He is declaring that by salvation, we are His possession. We are called saints in chapter 1, verse 1. Either you're a saint or you're an ain't this morning. One of the two. We are said to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ in chapter 1, verse 3. We are predestined to adoption as sons and daughters, chapter 1, verse 5. We have been redeemed through the blood and forgiven of all our sins, chapter 1, verse 7. We have obtained an inheritance equally, Ephesians 1, verse 11. All by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says. Not by corruptible things or traditions of our father, silver or gold. Not anything we have done, completely. He is again declaring that we are his instruments to glorify him. Before you came to Christ and I came to Christ, we lived for ourselves. We glorified ourselves. We couldn't stop people telling them how great we were. In a lot of different ways we did that, right? We want the focus of attention all the time. Listen to what he says now. Ephesians 1, 6, he says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted, listen, in the beloved. The praise of his glory, in the beloved. One twelve, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. One fourteen, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. There is no room for you or I or flesh glory in Christ Jesus. Particularly from the pulpit. That's the last place it should even be. It has no place. Now the word workmanship, as we said, means that which has been made. We get our, our English word poem from it. A poem is, uh, is designed. Therefore it has a designer. It has structure. It has rhyme. It has rhythm. At least in the English. In the Hebrew it's on contrast and comparisons and emphasizing over and over again. But either way, there's a punchline, there's a message that's com- being communicated. Um, and you are the closest thing to the gospel. You are God's poem to the world. You are the only gospel many people are going to hear and see. And God holds you responsible to represent him properly as well as myself. We are the product of God's work of salvation, even as clay in the hands of a potter. The Lord uses that illustration back in, uh, in the book of Jeremiah as he sends it to the house of the potter. Uh, Paul uses it for um, who's going to argue against the potter in Romans chapter 9 when he chose Israel over Edom. If you ever have anybody tell you that Romans 9 is talking about individual predestination of salvation, they're completely either lying or they're real ignorant. 
Because Romans 9, Paul is quoting Malachi, and Malachi is quoting Genesis 25, where Rebecca's having a bad time, and they ask the Lord, and he says, two nations are in your womb. Romans 9 is not about individual predestination for salvation. It's God's choosing the nation of Israel over the nation of Edom. Context, context, context. Very important. Now, we are to live confidently assured that we are the product of God's work of salvation. First, having been born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You'll never see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3 through 5, right? Now, the word born again has been abused and misused, and it's being taught wrong ways today by the emergent church, okay? Um, born again means that God has convicted you of your sin, and you recognize your need of salvation, and he's the one that provides it. And you call upon his name, and you repent, and he makes a new creature of you. He forgives you and gives you a divine nature. That's what born again means. It's real simple, okay? Also, having responded to the gospel, you did so in faith. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, if I am truly saved, that means I've believed what the word has said about God, me as a sinner, and salvation. And the Bible says that Jesus became sin for me, who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. And if I believe that he died and paid for my sins, and he's able to forgive me, I can call upon him, and he will do exactly what he says. That's faith. I'm depending on God's revelation. If what you believe and what you are living out is not based on the scripture in context, it's not faith at all. It's foolishness. And there's a lot of people in the church living out and teaching foolishness. Because it has no basis to the revelation of God. If they twist it, they contort it. The health and wealth and prosperity and we're going to set the kingdom up. Really? What Bible are you reading? I must know that I'm his own special or peculiar person called out of darkness to the marvelous light. That's another way. First Peter 2, 9 and many other scriptures. The way I used to live before, I don't live like that anymore. There's been a separation. There's been a 180 degree turn. How I see things, how I think about, how I look at things, what I do, what I say, where I go, who I hang out with. Now, it doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. It means that I'm different. Now, I don't live the way I used to. I don't exalt myself for that because God's doing the work in me. But I don't deceive myself thinking that I can live like the world and still call myself a Christian, which many Christians are doing today. Okay? It's an absolute contradiction. We're to understand that we are not our own, but God's possession, knowing that our body is the temple of God in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. When I wasn't a Christian, when I was in the world, this body belonged to me. I did what I wanted with it and to it. But as a Christian now, my body is the temple of God. I'm born again. He's doing a work in me. And so now I glorify him with my body, with my mind, with my thoughts, with everything. Growing, developing, and maturing spiritually as newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word. In 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. The way you know is you bring a child home and, and, and he's hungry. He wants milk. 
It's a natural thing for you to be hungry. And if you tell me you're born again, but you don't open the word of God and you don't read and you don't study and you don't go to church, there's a good reason for me to doubt your salvation. It's a natural thing. It's a natural drive to live. You have to eat. It's just basic. Depending on Jesus for everything. Listen to 2 Peter three seventeen through 18 You therefore, beloved, since you know these, this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. He's talking to Christians. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So, as a child of God, you understand that there's an enemy, Satan, the world, and your flesh. Bad darkness. Bad trinity. You're born again, you got a new nature, but you got an old nature. With the new nature, you don't have to submit to the old nature. But the old nature is still there to hassle you. So you've got to walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill those of the flesh. It is a choice now. Wish to God I was a robot. I'm not. You're going to have to make that decision to the day you give your last breath. That's why it's called warfare. The minute you're born again, you're born into warfare. You may not always be in a battle. And sometimes you'll be even hand to hand. Because you're born into warfare. Now, we are an instrument that brings glory to God then. In our body and spirits. 1 Corinthians 6.20 My body is the physical aspect. My spirit is the, the real me. The born again Xavier. My soul is my intellect, emotion, and my will. Before I was born again, my intellect, my emotion, and my will used my body the way I wanted my thoughts, my mind, my mouth, everything. Now I'm born again, I have a new nature. Now I look at things differently, I think differently, and I see people differently. That doesn't mean the old Xavier is not there, but I don't pay attention to the old Xavier. Old Xavier is bad news. All right? So we're going to see put off the old man, put on the new man, right? That's your responsibility, my responsibility. It doesn't happen automatically. But if you're not getting fed, then you're going to be weak. Very important. Also in our service, First Peter 4.11. That service has to be of the Lord. He's directing, he's guiding. In our sufferings even, First Peter 4.19 says that God is a faithful creator. Listen, in our sufferings. What do you do with that? Now, there's a whole group of the church today that says that we're, we're, we're the king's kids, right? We're to be healthy and wealthy, and everything's positive. We're going to bring in the kingdom. They never talk about it. What do they do with that verse? They don't touch it. What, what do they conclude about the church in, uh, in Iran? Of these Muslims who are coming to Christ, and Christ is appearing to them, and they're being persecuted for their faith, and some of them are even being killed. Do you say they have no faith? Because they're coming themselves to Jesus Christ and they're suffering? No, they're spiritual. The carnal focuses on the material, upon the prosperity. We are preaching a cultural gospel in America in many ways. To present our body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's a reasonable service. Not being fashioned the world system, being transformed by the renewing of our mind to prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God by the grace of God. Why? Because I've been born again. Not because I'm so good, but because I have a potential in Christ now if I yield to Him. 
Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 That wasn't a statement to, to excuse his carnality. That's a statement that if there's anything good coming from my life, it's to the glory of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Don't give me any credit. Don't glory in me. Glory in Jesus Christ. So the product of salvation is of God. He saves us. He initiates. We respond. I agree with you, Lord. Save me. Next comes the purpose of salvation. Middle of 10. Notice the apostle here depicted the person through whom we are enabled to be God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. The phrase created in Christ Jesus does not refer to the initial event of salvation. But rather the entire work of God from the beginning to the end that took place by our union with Christ. So all the rest of our life after salvation. The word created means to make habitable the idea of a change or a transformation. Now, biblical transformation is superior to behavior modification of the sciences, sociology, psychology. Okay? Transformation changes you from the inside out. Behavior modification manages from the outside. Okay? Whether it be the 12th step or whatever it is, they're all behavioral modifications. Inferior. The word appears three other times in the letter regarding the new creature in Christ. In Ephesians 2.15, it says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. From the two, Jew, Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. The Jew was not to look upon the Gentile and say, you scumbucket. And the Gentile was not to look to the Jew and say, you guys think you're so superior. But they're to look at each other and say, hey, brother, Aren't you glad Christ saved us both by grace through faith? Wow. No boasting. No boasting at all. The other time is in Ephesians 3, 9. It says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages have been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. So there is nothing that you see, nothing visible, nothing tangible, nothing that exists that you don't even know it exists that Christ didn't create. He created everything. And yet there's a group of Christians who teach theistic evolution. The God started the creation, handed it over to evolution, and took off. Really? Either you believe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, or you do not. He created it all, or not at all. Which is it? The Bible is very, very clear. Ephesians 4.24 says, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So now... 
we had a capacity to do good things and to be moral and ethical to an extent because we're creating the image and likeness of God. But before Christ, we didn't have the capacity for true righteousness and holiness. That only comes through Jesus Christ. This refers back to the word worship. The new creation. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says that before Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay? So in other words, you had no potential for holiness or godliness. Before Christ, we were not in union with God or Christ, but the prince and the power of the air was our master, and we were sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2, 2 says. No matter how moral you were, no matter how good you think you were, you were a child of wrath by nature as I. The proverb says that the children come from the womb speaking lies, and you thought they were crying. None of you had to teach your child, son or daughter, how to lie, how to disobey. They do that all on their own. You know why? They're your children. They're just like you. Before Christ, we were giving ourselves over to the lust of our sin nature. Our thoughts, our emotions, again, being the children of wrath. The world teaches us real fast. The world today is so much more corrupt than when I grew up. The children don't stand a chance, not only from the outside, but from the inside of homes and from the indoctrination of the education and from all the media and all the entertainment. It's so vile, it's so corrupt. The believer has been made a vessel of habitable for God to work in and through Christ Jesus after salvation by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, 19 and 20 says. So now that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and raised him to sit at the right hand of the Father that has forgiven me and made me new. Now that very same power wants to work in me and through me to transform me, to use me as his instrument for his glory. Not for my own. The believer is the one being created in Christ to be an example in the extension of Christ to the dark and lost world. It could be just being an example at your friends who invite you over to dinner and they're non-believers. It could be a conversation that God's going to open up as you share Christ with somebody. You just don't know. The phrase in Christ here, Jesus, once again states the only person by which God the Father accomplished this work. Underline that. Christos, the Messiah, the anointed, indicating his deity. Now, in the history of the United States, for the most part, the name of Jesus Christ has never been challenged as a nation or as a majority against Christ. For the first time in our history, we are seeing that. With this politically correctness, as well as the church, the emergent church, being politically correct. 
Anytime anybody wants to make the way to heaven wider than Jesus Christ, they are an enemy of the gospel. It's real simple. Okay? Man says there's all kinds of ways to God. God says there's one way to me, my son, Jesus Christ. No one else. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Pretty narrow to me. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me. In John 14, 6, pretty narrow to me. Either he's arrogant or he's telling the truth. What do you think? I choose that he's telling the truth. The name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. And the key now is humanity. So you have this deity, Cristo, Jesus, Yahweh is salvation, his humanity. One. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law. Galatians 4.4. 4. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and God was the Word. John 1.1. 1, 1. And the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14. The God-man. 100% man. 100% God. And He emptied Himself of His glory. And He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God because He was God. And He took on the form of a servant and He emptied Himself of his glory, not his deity. And he was obedient to the death of the cross. And for that reason, a name has been given to him above every other name. There's the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 5 on down to 11. By now, through the age of grace, people bow willingly to be saved and forgiven. When he returns, by force for damnation. Men and women get to choose on what side of the line they want to be. God didn't predestine you to be lost. That's a lie from many teachers. You'll never find it in the Bible. So the God-man, the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Nobody else. A mediator is only one. So now the, the Pope says that we're all brothers and sisters. We're all going to heaven, right? All right, I've got the Pope. I got Jesus. Who am I going to believe? I got Rick Warren and Jesus. Who am I going to believe? I've got the emergent church and Jesus. Who am I going to believe? It's real simple, ladies and gentlemen. Notice the apostle declared the workmanship is enabled to be the service of God. For good works. These works are not human, natural works that he's talking about. Though we had a capacity for good, because we're creating the image and likes of God, the context here is the new creation. There are many who do many good works for the human race who are not Christians. They give thousands and millions of dollars. People benefit from that. Some do good works because they have um, both the financial resources and the connections um, in abundance out of a sense of social responsibility due to having so much. Others do them simply because they can be seen and as benevolent by people and they get a tax write-off. So there's a lot of reasons why people do good things. But whatever the motive or reason, these 
are done by sinful, fallen men and women who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. Are we clear on that? All right? What Paul is talking about is the works that God does through us after we're born again by his hand. Notice these works mean salvation has as one of its purposes good works. The word good, we've studied it before, agathos, it means good in constitution or nature. Excellent, honorable. But the result of the new nature in Christ Jesus is the source, not our own goodness. The word appears three times, three other times in the letter. In, in 428, it says this, Let him who steal or stole, steal no longer, but... Rather, let him labor, working with his own hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. So now you're a Christian. Now you work hard and you help others as God directs you because you love the Lord and God is directing you of your own free will. You're not being forced to spread the wealth. That's socialism. That's Marxism. All right? You have all the right to do anything you want with your material things. You want to give your car away, you have all the right. But no one has a right to tell you to give your car away. Are we clear on that? All right? In 429, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. So now my body is God's instrument. So what used to come forth from my mouth was vile, self-serving, degrading to others. Now it's to impart blessing and benefit to others, right? This is God's goodness working through me as I yield to it. Do I have a capacity to, to be just the opposite? Yes. I get to choose. Ephesians 6, 8 says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So in other words, whatever we do, God will reward. He says that in 1 Corinthians 3, right? Wood, hay, stubble, silver, gold, precious stone. And what is the judgment of the, of the work? Is it how much I do? Is it what I do? To who I do it? No. The judgment is based on why and how I did it. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. Do I do it because I love God and because I love the people of God? That's the only motive that he will reward. God's not impressed by how much you and I do. Not at all. Other people are impressed, but not God. He's more concerned why you do it and how you do it. Do you do it for the glory and the love of God or do you do it for your own glory and because you love yourself? Wow. The good works acknowledged by God are those that come forth from our lives as we yield to Jesus to live in us and through us to others. We're stepping stones. You can either be a, a Sea of Galilee or a Dead Sea. 
the Sea of Galilee, water comes in and goes out. It's fresh. It's ever running. The Dead Sea collects, has no outlet, so it stagnates. And that's why it's called dead. Nothing lives in it. It lives for itself. You're one of two as a Christian. As we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, we're to do it daily and to follow him. Luke 9.23. Every day. Because every day, the old sin nature will be there as well as the new nature. Every day, God will want to direct and guide my path and I will have to make a decision whether I will yield to him or not yield to him. I wish to God it happened automatically. It does not. As we reckon the old man dead and put on the new man, and notice that he repeats that. Listen to what he says here in Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. He says, If indeed you have heard him, meaning Christ, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful uh, lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on, put off. This morning, you put off your pajamas, you showered, you put on some clean clothes. That's what it's talking about. Didn't happen automatically. I've got to put off the old man, put on the new man. And by the word, by the way, the word lust there grows in lust. It's not just sexual. It's a strong desire for whatever it is. Some people have a strong desire to be rich. Other for self-attention, for whatever it is. The context will tell you what that is. But you've got to put on and put off every day of your life as a Christian. Now, we, as we live in the potential of the new nature, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3, 9 through 10. <clears throat> Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So the way you're going to be transformed and grow and mature and develop is if you stay in the word of God by knowledge, by studying. And allowing the word not to stay in your brain, but go down to your heart to transform you. Okay? You've got to put some shoe leather to it. Okay? Some people just go from church to church just getting all kinds of Bible information. That's it. They have the answer to everybody, but their lives are all jacked up. The good works are simply become, it's simply become more like Jesus. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. Being more kind, more compassionate, more patient, more meek, more loving, more forgiving. Keep the list going. And the other word, in other words, God has not saved us just to keep us from hell or just to wait for his coming and just be idle. But rather to be Christ-like that our message and lives be one. People are looking. People are listening. They say you're a Christian. They're going to take you at your word. Now the world already has a lot of messed up ideas of about Christianity because of bad examples. Grab it from history, they grab it from their own personal experience, whatever it is. And you have to live in such a way to prove them wrong. That's your responsibility and mine. 
And it doesn't always have to be words. God may have you to go somewhere where you don't want to go with family members or friends. And all he's going to do is use you as an example. You're not going to say a word to anybody about Jesus. You're just going to live Jesus out during those three, four hours that you rather be somewhere else. And that's how he's going to use you. How are we doing? Are you willing to do that? Hmm. These works are evidence of being saved and having a new divine nature, a new life. Am I talking about perfection? Nah. Never. But I'm different. I'm not the same. I have a new potential. I'm under new management. Faith after salvation produces good works. Simple. The purpose of salvation is more than just to be saved, even as education has a greater purpose than just knowledge. The first thing to do is to make ourselves available to God. Real simple. Many say they want to be used by God, but they just um, come into the church on Sunday or midweek and they go out of the study. They never get involved in ministry. You can say everything you want. You know, it's like deadbeat dads. You know, I would really like to be there. Well, be there. I would really like to have time, but we'll make time. It's real simple. Some people are not really willing to be used by God. But they do want to be used by people. Because <laughs> again, that brings attention to them, right? And they get the hot knob with people hang out. Oh, yeah, you know who I hang out? People, when people drop names, I, I hate it. Sometimes people try, one time a person tried to impress me. Well, you know, Pastor Chuck, I said, who? I love Pastor Chuck when he was here. But just to show them. Now you want to tell me Jesus said that, that I'm all ears. Don't drop names on me. What is man? Absolutely zippo. Nothing. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone say he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him alone? No. James 2.14. He's talking to Christians. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James 2.17. But some will say, here's the carnal Christian. Some will say, you have faith, I have works. But then he says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James 2.18. It's simple. If you buy an apple tree and it doesn't give apples, pretty good conclusion that it's not an apple tree, right? Simple. James 2.20 says, but do you want to know Oh, foolish man, that faith without works is dead. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James 2.26 Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct 
that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. James 3.13. Christ working through him. Completely. Proper perspective. The believer is inducted into the family of God. And then he's instructed many things regarding works in the scriptures. We are exhorted and commanded by the Lord Jesus to occupy till he comes in Luke 19.13. Occupy till he comes. What are you occupied in the majority of your time? Since you've been born again, how much involvement has there been in the kingdom of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, in the work of Christ? Now, you have to work, you have to take care of your house, you've got a wife, you've got a husband, you've got children. All those things have to be taken care of because that's what qualifies you to serve. But there's a lot of stuff that we got involved in in the world that took up all our time. The minute I became born again, I dropped all kinds of stuff. I had no business doing that anymore. It was a waste of time. I was 23. Now I'm 66. Now I drop a lot of things off that there's nothing wrong with them, but I don't have that much time left. So I want to live my life in a greater priority now. Some things are just, they're not worth doing anymore. Paul told the Corinthians, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. For faith working through love, Colossians or Galatians 5, 6. So anything we do has to be through the motivation of God love. Not to call attention to ourselves. Not to show off or anything else. Because God sees our heart. We are to be careful to maintain good works, Titus 3, 8 says. Because it gives evidence of our faith. We're to be aware that it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. So whenever people want to give us glory, we say that. The Lord's good, isn't he? God's working in me and through me. Yes, I'm yielding, but I can't take no glory of it, right? It's all of God. All of these are the result of being in Christ, Paul is saying. So the purpose of salvation is for good works the good works of God. Notice thirdly comes the process of salvation. The last part of 10. The Apostle Paul declared, God has prepared good works for the believer. God has prepared beforehand, he says here. Now, this confirms that God is responsible for the good works just mentioned. This is what is called uh, a relative clause which concludes the verse, understanding the importance of the divine origin of the good works. Some teach that the verse teaches that God is preparing the believer beforehand for the good works. But most accept the text that God is preparing the works for the individual. The phrase beforehand simply means to make ready prior or in advance. The word appears only one other time in the New Testament for the believer's work and service in Christ. Listen, it says, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Romans 9, 23, the only other time. He has prepared those works and that God received the glory. The problem we have is in trying to understand the exact manner of these works in advance before walking in them. We should note that the word used is not predestination 
nor does the word mean ordain, as translated in the King James, the old King James, or foreordain. We should understand that these works prepared in advance are not to be thought of as Greek determinism, that all actions and reactions are written in stone and that every work must and will take place because nothing can be altered. That is Greek determinism. By the way, it's also Calvinism. If that is true, then we're robots and we have no free will. But you know you had a free will this morning to get up and come to church or not. And sometimes you had a choice like that and you stayed home. So we do not believe that God predestined everything, decreed everything, and nothing can be altered. That's Greek determinism, which also is Calvinism, okay? Because otherwise, we would have to conclude that since everything has been decreed before and nothing can be altered, therefore every violent act that takes place, whether it be murder, rape, or anything else, God decreed it, so he would be the author of sin. You willing to do that? Not me. So you have to be careful. In terms of Greek determinism or Calvinism, same thing. This would make the believer a robot, having no free will, self-determined being, but with no free will. Well, that's contradiction. Now, prophecy is different. God is telling things before they happen, so when they happen, you know he's God. But God is not forcing the person to do the evil. He only knows the evil that will be done. Now, I can handle that. And therefore, when he judges a person, he judges them for their knowledge of right and wrong and the evil they did. Now, if God forced them to do that, how could God judge them for the evil that he made them do? Are you following me here? This is what Calvinism teaches, which is Greek determinism. The simple observation in our lives will illustrate this point. Each of us have disobeyed God at different points in our lives. In fact, you will disobey God today. A few times or so. Because you have a free will. Now, if it was set in stone, you obey all the time, right? You can't alter it. Be careful of that. Even so, though Paul says that they are prepared in advance, we haven't always walked at 100%, have we? Because we're still in this body. But we do live differently, and we put off the old man, we put on the new man. Now, notice also the Apostle Paul declared a believer is to be aligned and align himself here with God for these good works, that we should walk in them. Paul is saying, knowing God has many things to he wants to do through our lives, then as believers, we are to seek the will of God in prayer. Two ears, one mouth. As we're in the Word of God, he directs and guides us. People are, to, are lost in sin, and they will come in contact with us, God will bring people for us to share Christ. Simple. Um, places he will allow us to go. God will use us. Sometimes just by our presence, as I said. Sometimes by word. Personal ministry in the church body. The particular church where you go. The gifts that you have. The callings. The things he would want you to do. You're to go to God, Lord, where do I fit? What are my gifts? What do you want me to do? I'm not to tell you what to do. I'm not to put you in where I think I, I can use you. That's your responsibility. The word walk, by the way, peripateo, it means to make one's way in the era is active. 
habitually as a habit. Constantly. It implies progress. It implies making use of the opportunities. It implies a habit of life. Paul is saying as believers we should walk in them. It is our obligation. But listen, without being forced. All right? Your children are growing up. Your sons and daughters, gentlemen, bear your name. They should walk as moral, godly, young people because they want to honor your name. Not because you force them. You as a child of God walk in this way because you want to honor the Lord's name. Not because he forces you. We are the product of God. We are the possession of God. We are the instrument of God. Paul is implying that the present works we walk in are a foundation in our youth for the preparation for future other things. The obedience that you do today is the foundation for the next thing he directs you. The next work. One on top of the other. It teaches me. It humbles me. It causes me to be strong. It causes me to be refined and depend upon Him. The reason being that many of these works are in fact some of the spiritual blessings that He has blessed us with in Ephesians 1.3. And some of these blessings we hated at first, but they turn into blessings because of God's wisdom. Part of our wealth in Christ, the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus in chapter 2, verse 7. You've read the lives of Joseph, Moses, Daniel. They're a good illustration of good words God prepared beforehand that they might walk in them. And they submitted themselves to him. Not, not all pretty. Joseph was thrown in jail. Accused falsely. Daniel. Moses had a hard time. Having walked with God for 42 years, I can clearly look back and see many things God has prepared me for to walk in. But back then, it was one step at a time. Staying in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Hindsight is 2020. It's great. Looking back 42 years. But when I was back there, it was one step at a time in obedience. And doing this, and it builds. Coming to Christ through my eye accident. Leading and guiding me, bringing my wife to me. Directing me in various studies. Being on staff at West Covina, then over to Highland Park in 1977. Calling me out to Alhambra in 1980. The various places that we were at for six and a half years. The YMCA, the Women's Club, the Masonic Lodge. The Seventh-day Adventist, the uh, church on Rosemead, Dr. Orr's old church. The cockroach-infested theater that we last ended up before we got here. All God prepared for us. We prayed, we knocked on doors, and we took one day at a time, one step at a time. And here we are, 36 years later. Second, First Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit researches all things, yea, the deep things of God. There's so many things God has for us. So we seek him every day. We stay in the word. We grow. We pray. We seek him. God has used the past good works for the present good works and will lead us into future good works. One is built on the other. God will use every situation and circumstance for his good work, even the ones that you think he couldn't possibly use. This week, sit down 
by yourself and write down all the good works that you have walked in and you know that God directed you in them. And then sit down and write all the ones that he told you to walk in but you didn't. And ask him to forgive you and learn from that. And walk in obedience to him. He's much wiser than us. Paul put it this way, Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing, forgetting those things that are behind, for reaching forward to the things that are ahead, I press towards the goal, to the prize, to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Looking forward. Putting your hand to the plow, not looking back. The process of salvation is to walk in the good works of God. When is it finished? When I take my last breath. Paul declared that the gift of salvation is the mere beginning of the work of God in salvation that continues throughout life. It's not an end in itself, and it's characterized by the product of salvation. It is God. The purpose of salvation is the good works of God. And the process of salvation is to walk in the good works of God. This is for you and for me. Christians. Regards of the age. Regards of the nation. Regards of the time. It's the same book. For every generation. Father, we thank you. We pray you deal with our hearts as you direct and guide us. That we be obedient to you and walk in those good works that you prepare beforehand. That we might walk in them, Lord. Help us to walk in them, Lord, that you may be glorified in all things. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you believe Jesus is God, who became man, died for your sins, rose from the dead, and that he sits at the right of the Father, making intercession, and if he has allowed you to see your need of salvation, you're a sinner in need of Christ, then that's the work of the Spirit of God. And now he allows you to make a choice. He will not make the choice for you. You must make that choice. Yes, Lord, I agree I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. It's called repentance. If this is your desire. This is your prayer to the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.